We're going to um, Mark chapter 3. We've been talking about the walk and how to cultivate real relationship with God. And, uh, you know, this is kind of a longer series than normal. Uh, I think this is part 6. Normally I kind of cut things off at parts 3 or 4. Uh, but we're actually going to go to, I think, 8 eight segments here in this series. Um, <clears throat> Anyways, I think it's important for us just to kind of review what we've been talking about. Some of the essentials for having a real relationship with God. We started out with simply beholding the love of God. Actually having this, uh, you know, a vision of how much God loves us, irregardless of who we are or what we've done. That we can behold the love of God. Also, another essential was not just beholding God's love, but seeing our own need for God's mercy and love being led to an experience of confession, being honest with that, and also repenting, experiencing a, just a, a refusal to live um, in and of our own power, but by God's power, which leads us to an experience of surrender. We talked about surrender and what it means to deny self and disown self and actually allow um, God to work that miracle of surrender in us. And as we learn to surrender, then we'll experience transformation of character not just becoming more and more of who we are, but becoming more and more of who God is, being sons and daughters of God. Anyways, that's where we've been. And I hope that we see each of these essentials not as things that, that I need to try harder to do. Okay, I hope we see these essentials not as steps that we need to take, but really for, uh, that we see them as needs or experiences that we need to ask God to lead us into. That we would ask God to, to give us the capacity to see his love, to give us the capacity to see ourselves, to give us the capacity to, to know what the gift of repentance is like and surrender and transformation, okay? So again, this is not about what we do, but what we let God do in and for us, all right? So we're going to another essential today, and that essential, we've kind of been following the sequence of the themes pointed out in Steps to Christ um, as we see them in the disciples' experience, but today's essential is simply this, that walking with Jesus involves living for others, okay? Walking with Jesus involves living for others. In other words, we don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for service, to live lives of service and impact and blessing for others. Remember when Jesus called the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, he said, follow me and I will make you become what? You guys remember? Yeah, fishers of men. In other words, you're not just going to fish for your own needs. You're actually going to fish for other people to seek the salvation of the lost. And here we are in Mark chapter 3. If you're there, say amen. Okay, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13, is kind of the official appointment of the 12 apostles here. And it says this, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. I love that phrase. That when Jesus calls disciples, it's not just because they want to be with him, it's because he wants them, you know. He went up on the mountain, called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Now, verse 14, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Okay, there's that relationship with him. That's the primary appointment. That they might be with him and that he might send them where? Do you have it there? Send them out, right? Send them out 
to preach in verse 15, to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And then verse 16 and onward, he's going to list those 12 apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James. And this is where we were last week. They were called sons of thunder, etc., etc. And so here I just kind of want to zero in on, on this dynamic of verses 14 and 15, that when Jesus called these apostles, when he called the disciples, he wanted them first to be with him and in also being with him, he wanted to send them out. So the call to be with Jesus is also a call to be sent out by Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew. Go with me to Matthew chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, go ahead. Or if you're flipping through your phone, Matthew chapter 10 is kind of the parallel passage here. Matthew chapter 10, <clears throat> starting in verse 2, he's uh, appointing the apostles. So just like Mark you know, he's kind of got this list of, of the 12 apostles, but, um, but Mar- um, I guess Matthew kind of flips the order of things. He calls the 12 apostles by name, and then he gives the, uh, the description of what they're to do. In Matthew chapter 10, if you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 5, it says this, These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's recommending kind of a a targeted approach here. Now notice verse 7, what the commission is, right? We saw this in Mark. Mark says that he was appointing the 12 apostles to be with him and to send them out. But here's Matthew's kind of version of that. Verse 7, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. And then notice this at the end of verse 8. Freely you have received, freely do what? Give. Freely you've received this commission from me, this authority from me. Freely you've received this presence of mine, therefore freely give it to others. So here Jesus is sending the apostles out to bless others through a message of hope, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand and through a ministry of healing. I love that. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, even raise the dead. In other words, give people life. And the rationale, the basis, the premise at the end of verse 8 is, why, why should I do this? Because you've freely received, Right? Because you've been given so much, you have now the capacity to give to other people. And here's what I just kind of want to zero in on at the very onset of our, our message this morning, is that when we walk with Jesus, we receive so much. And we receive this freely without strings, right? Or uh, no strings attached. It's, It's unearned. It's undeserved. And because Jesus freely gives to us, we not only can, but we will live lives of freely giving to other people. The blessing is not just for us. We are able to bless others with a message of hope and with a ministry of healing. And I, I just want us to see this from the very get-go, that there's a cause and effect, that when we walk with Jesus, that's the cause, the effect is we will live for others. When we walk with Jesus, we will be a blessing to others. When we walk with Jesus, we will receive and we will therefore give. Yeah, which means that if I'm not giving and if I'm not living for others, then maybe I'm not really walking with Jesus, you know. But when we uh, are in this relationship with Jesus, 
then there is this outgrowth. There's this outflow in giving to others. And this is another essential step, not just to knowing Jesus, but, but revealing that knowledge of Jesus. And I want to be honest with this, that living for others is not a natural thing for us in and of ourselves. That's why it's a byproduct of actually walking with Jesus. Uh, it's not natural to give freely. Just ask a two-year-old who feels like he needs more toys than his brother or whatever the case might be, yeah? It's not natural to live for others' benefit. Uh, we, we were actually just reading um, uh, a book by Max Lucado. It's called A Love Worth Giving, and it's going through the characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, it's talking about how, how inborn or how inherent it is that we are selfish by nature, right? And he just points out, when you look at a group picture, you know, who are you looking for first? You're looking for yourself. Right, And even if you're the only one that looks good in that picture, you think it's a good picture, right? Even if everybody else has spinach in their teeth and nobody is looking at the camera, you think it's a good picture. Anyways, it's, by nature, we are selfish. It's not natural to live primarily for other people. It's supernatural. It's not natural to live for others' benefit. It's supernatural. It's not natural to fish for others, for their well-being, not for our own. It's, it's supernatural. And that's why, you know, in that call in Mark chapter 1, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's why it's a process of becoming. And it's a process of becoming when we follow Jesus. He's the one who makes us into givers. He's the one who makes us into fishers. He's the one who makes us into seekers for others' good and salvation. So when we follow Jesus and receive freely from him, we have the supernatural capacity to give freely to others. That's a beautiful life to live. I tell you, it's a a beautiful life to live. Um, (laughs) I was reading someone else's uh, Facebook post about just kind of their dismay at finding empty shelves at the supermarket or Walmart or whatever. I don't know. I I made the foolish mistake of looking for hand sanitizer yesterday. (laughs) Three different stores, Three empty shelves, three notices due to the high demand, you know, whatever. Um, But even in a time like this, what if our primary focus wasn't on what we get, but what we give? You know, that's I think that's the beautiful life of walking with Jesus. Even when we haven't necessarily gotten what we need, we actually do get what we need. And because of that, we're able to give. Jesus teaches this. He impresses this reality upon his disciples, I think, in a lot of different ways. But two metaphors, to me, stand out. And I want to share those with us. Let's go to John chapter 15. John 15, we, again, we were here last, uh, last week, but we'll go there again for a different reason. John 15. The first metaphor that I think Jesus uses to just kind of impress this reality of, of giving and living for other people's sake is through the metaphor of fruitfulness. The metaphor of fruitfulness. And he, he uses this in a lot of different ways, a lot of different parables. A lot of Jesus' parables are agricultural in nature, you know, because he's talking about a harvest. He's talking about things growing over time. But really, it's not a harvest for our own benefit. It's a harvest for God's glory and for other people's benefit. You know, when Jesus walks up to a fig tree because he's hungry, he's wanting fruit, right? He's not just interested in the show. He's not just interested in the, the flora, the, the foliage. He's interested it in the fruit. Um, But here in John 15, notice in verse 5, John 15, verse 5, Jesus talking to the disciples, he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me, he who has that that remaining relationship, that steady, constant connection, he who abides in me and I in him, what will happen? Bears much fruit. Okay, That's that's the simple effect of the cause being a relationship with Jesus. When we have Jesus in our lives, when we are in Jesus ourselves, we will bear fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Fruitfulness is, I don't know if you realize this, but fruit has no benefit for the vine itself. Fruit does nothing for the branch. It does everything for others. <laughs> That's the nature of fruit. Fruit is not for, for me, it's, it's for the people around me. And when Jesus is saying, hey, when you abide in me, the byproduct of your life is going to bless and benefit everyone else. You are going to bear not just some fruit. I love this. You will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Um, in, in that book, Steps to Christ, there's some beautiful, uh, just, Ellen White just put some things together in ways that I could never say it. So we'll just look at it here. It says, Our Savior's joy was in the uplifting and redemption of fallen humanity. I'm sorry, fallen men. <clears throat> you remember that story. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. The disciples have, have gone into town to go get some food because they've been traveling and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and when they come back and find Jesus, having had this conversation where he actually reveals himself to her as the Messiah, you know, he sees the light bulb kind of go off in her heart and mind, and then she runs back to town. The disciples are just kind of confused, uh, especially because when they offer Jesus food, do you remember what Jesus says at that moment? Yeah, he says, you know what? I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I've got food that you have no idea what it's about. What food was he talking about? He was talking about the, the food of being a blessing to somebody else. It was his joy to live for others uplifting. So our Savior's joy was in the uplifting and redemption of fallen men. So angels are ever engaged in working for the happiness of others. The spirit of Christ's self-sacrificing love is the spirit that pervades heaven and is the very essence of its bliss. You want to know what heaven looks like? It looks like service. It looks like self-sacrifice. It's not just Jesus' joy. It's what, it, it's what flutters the hearts and wings of angels themselves. This is the spirit that Christ's followers will possess, the work that they will do. They will do all they can to make the world better for their stay in it. This spirit is the sure outgrowth of a soul truly converted. That's the sure outgrowth. That's what we were made for. That's, that's the purpose of our very lives. I don't know. Do I have more on this? No, that's it. Okay. <laughs> and you know, the reality is that maybe, maybe you've had seasons in your life, or maybe right now you're, you feel like you don't necessarily see yourself as having much impact or having great fruit for other people to, to, to enjoy and taste and see that God is good. Maybe you feel like you don't, you don't have very much to give because you feel like you're so much in need of God's grace, that life has broken you down or beaten you down and you're so thirsty of salvation. But I love that Jesus' focus is not on, hey, you guys have got to bear more fruit. His focus is on just abide in me. You know, just stay connected. And did you notice, I don't, if you're still there in John 15, in verse 1, notice the, the relationships that Jesus identifies. He says, I am the true vine, meaning life is going to come from me, okay? And then notice this, 
my father is the vine dresser. In other words, it's his responsibility to make sure the branches are healthy. He'll take care of that if you just simply stay connected. You may not necessarily feel like you have much fruit. Well, that's okay. That's not your focus. Your focus is to stay connected. And he will bear fruit through us. He's the vine dresser. He's the one who takes responsibility for our impact and saving influence. But there's another metaphor. There's another promise that I think we can all find comfort in, in John chapter 7. Go with me there. So we've talked about the metaphor of fruitfulness, but there's another, another metaphor that Jesus brings up here um, in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, and we'll go to verse 37 to 39. John 7, verses 37 to 39. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay? So Jesus is here. He's, uh, he's now in Jerusalem, kind of under, under radar, by stealth. The, his brothers were actually wondering if he was going to go up to Jerusalem for this feast. Jesus says, no, nah, my, my time's not right now. Um, you know, there was some kind of contention about Jesus amongst the religious leaders, so he didn't want to create a stir. But he actually did go on his own time and on his own agenda. And in verse 37, it says that on the last day, that great day of the feast, okay, this was a particular feast in which the last, um, I guess, ritual of that celebration was to pour, um, I don't know, flagons is the right word, (laughs) just, you know, pour jars of water from the temple steps. And the temple steps would kind of, or the the water would flow down the temple steps and out into the courtyard area there. And it says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow what? What do you have there? Rivers of living water. Some of us may not necessarily feel, this is the other metaphor, not just the metaphor of fruitfulness, but the metaphor of being a river, a river of life, a river of life-giving water. And what's really powerful to me is that we don't have life in ourselves. We come thirsty, right? That's what it says in verse 30. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You you may not necessarily feel like you have very much fruit to offer. You don't feel like you have very much refreshment to offer others. Hey, we feel like we're thirsty. That's okay. Jesus says, come thirsty and I'll transform you into a life-giving water. How does that happen? It's through a relationship with him. This is what happens when we come to Jesus and keep coming to Jesus, when we walk with him and keep abiding in him, when we actually become living uh, temples of the Holy Spirit so that out of our temple steps, so to speak, waters and rivers of life flow from us. That's powerful, right? Verse 39, John kind of adds the interpretation just in case we missed it. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus says, hey, when you come to me, even when you're thirsty, needing salvation for yourself, I will transform you into a giver of life and salvation to other people. I'll make you like a river, a life-giving river. Rivers are pretty cool. Lakes are pretty cool too. Have you guys ever heard of the sea called the Dead Sea? 
Yeah. Have you, have you been out there? You've been, have you floated in this thing? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently the salinity uh, levels of this sea are very, very high. So things float, people float very, very easily. Um, fish, however, are not here. <laughs> fish, were they to be there? I guess they'd float too. <laughs> uh, the reality is it's called the Dead Sea because its salinity level prevents macroscopic aquatic organisms. This is uh, not my verbiage here. But anyways, life giving or life just does not exist there unless you're minuscule and microscopic bacteria or fungi, things like that. It's called the Dead Sea because nothing lives there. And it, nothing lives there because ev- the, the only source of water for the Dead Sea is the Jordan River, if I'm right. But there's no outflow. It has inflow, but no outflow. It receives, but doesn't give. And this is what happens. It's, it's really a metaphor for a life that constantly receives, but refuses to give. We're not life-giving, right? But Jesus says, no, no, no. When you come to me, even when you're receiving from me, I'm going to make you a giver. I'm going to make you a giver. It has this constant source of inflow like the Dead Sea. Or we don't, we don't have just a constant source of inflow like the Dead Sea. No, we become a river. We don't stagnate. Instead, we become refreshed by refreshing others. Now, when Jesus was saying this on John, in John 7, verse 37 and 38, he's talking about, you know, come thirsty, I'll make you a life-giving river. He's actually not creating this imagery on his own. This is actually something that comes from the book of Ezekiel. Um, Maybe you've read this before. In Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel sees this vision of a river. When you look into that chapter, you notice that this river has a source. And that source is the temple of God. Okay? Again, Jesus is at the temple where they're doing this ritual of pouring water from the temple steps. And this is what he pulls from. Notice how Ezekiel puts it. This river flows east through the desert. And where does it go? Into the valley of the Dead Sea. By the way, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. In, I guess, well, yeah, anyways. <laughs> it's like 2,300 feet below sea level. Um, the river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. So Ezekiel sees a vision of rivers from God's temple actually making the Dead Sea life. Okay? Uh, It's actually reviving the Dead Sea, making it fresh and pure. And the next verse says this, There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea. For its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. So when Jesus is saying, hey, if anyone is thirsty, uh, you can come to me and drink. And then you know what? I'm going to make you a life-giving river. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. He's saying, you're going to be this vision. You're going to be the fulfillment of the vision of Ezekiel. Wherever your life flows, Their life will flourish. Jesus envisions our lives individually and collectively to be like a life-giving stream, constantly receiving from him so that we can constantly be giving to others, bringing freshness and purity where there once was only stagnancy, revival where there once was only death and decay. This is the reality of a life that comes thirsty to Jesus and is used by Jesus to satisfy the thirst of others. Man, 
I want to walk with Jesus. Right? I want to walk with Jesus. That cause will create serious effect. But I want us to recognize that there's a dual reality to service. There's a dual reality to the life that is lived for others. And that's simply this. That service for others is both a cause and effect of closeness with Jesus. Let that sink in for just a little bit. We've been talking about how uh, service for others is the, the byproduct. It's the effect of having a relationship with Jesus. But I would also submit to you today that service for others is actually a cause that leads us to keep close to Jesus. Do you know what I mean by that? Have you experienced that in your own life? That while a life of service and ministry and love is, yes, it's a byproduct of walking with Jesus, it's also a factor for keeping close to Jesus. It's a way to strengthen our relationship with him, not just reflect our relationship with him. I want you to think about maybe some biblical examples. Uh, You know, we've talked a little bit about the rich young ruler in weeks past. Remember the rich young ruler? He was asking Jesus, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? Uh, Jesus looks at him with compassion. He knows his life story, just kind of reading it. And he says, you know what? One thing you lack. He says, go sell all that you have. Give your money to the poor, right? Think about other people's needs. Then take up your cross and follow me. Could it be that one of the conditions for coming to Jesus, you know, giving all he had, selling to the poor, that there, yeah, sure, there's a dynamic where Jesus recognized some competition in his life, that his supreme affection was not necessarily for heavenly things. He needed to give up idols. But there's also something to be said about what happens when we give of ourselves and of our goods to others that puts us in a position to actually walk with Jesus. That by thinking about others, he was able to be closer to Jesus. It put him in a position to follow him. Think about Matthew chapter 25. You know, the three parables that Jesus tells there. uh, The parable of the virgins, the the ten virgins, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, In the middle of that, he tells a parable about three servants who were given talents. You remember that? There's a master who goes on a far journey. He entrusts his talents to three of his, his uh, faithful servants. He gives to one five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent. And to the, the, the two servants who actually put their master's goods to use, you know, when, when the master comes back from his journey, he kind of checks in, checks accounts. Hey, how did you invest the goods that I entrusted to you? You remember there in Matthew chapter 25, those first two servants that came back, hey, I put your money to use and I doubled what I have. Your five became ten. Your two became four. And what he says to them is, you've been faithful in little things. I'll entrust to you many things. Okay, so the master gives them more responsibility. And then he says this really cool phrase, enter into the joy of your master. In other words, it was as those faithful servants received more responsibility to serve and use their gifts for others that they were able to enter into a deeper joy of the Lord. Does that make sense? That that, that as we work for others, as we give to others, we actually experience more of God's presence, more of God's joy in our lives. Do you know, um, 
Have you heard of the acronym JOY, J-O-Y? The way to experience joy is to put Jesus first, then others' needs, and then yourself. (laughs) But to experience true joy, it's not just how I can experience more things or I can have more things, but prioritize Jesus, prioritize others, and then you yourself will find true joy. The faithful servants in, in that parable, they entered into the joy of the Lord after being entrusted with more responsibility. And I'll be honest, yeah, when I was going from empty shelf to empty shelf, that was a little bit of joy robbing for me. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe like you um, or like me, maybe you've uh, kind of been staying up on some of the web pages where there are, you know, more immediate news releases of just what's been happening, uh, things like that. And yeah, it it can rob a little bit of joy when we think about what we're not getting from the store, what we're not able to obtain or what's happening and stuff. But what if we shift our focus from, you know, the things that we don't have to the needs of others that we can fill? What if that would actually stir our joy even more? What if that would actually lead us to a closer relationship with Jesus? I was reading this not too long ago. This is actually in reference to the parable, I'm sorry, the parable of Matthew chapter 25. It says it's because this work, the work of caring for others, the work of caring for others, actually the previous paragraph talks about caring for others in our home, in our church, in our ever-broadening spheres, whatever. It's because this work is neglected that so many young disciples, not just in age but also in experience, never advance beyond the mere alphabet of the Christian experience. The light which was glowing in their hearts when Jesus spoke to them, thy sins be forgiven thee. You know, that that first light of, oh, I have received God's grace. They might have kept alive by helping those in need. Self would be forgotten in earnest work to do others good. Do you see what she's saying here? Like we we can have a fervor for God, but you know what? It won't be sustained unless we're seeking to do good to others. As long as we're just about me, myself, and I, we will only be like a dead sea. (laughs) But when we start thinking about what needs we can fulfill, when we see Jesus and others, and then ourselves, we'll be like rivers of life-giving water. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, I love this. It says, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. I don't know, maybe when you heard me say that acronym, Jesus, others, yourself, you're thinking, well, who's going to take care of me? (laughs) Who's going to take care of me? Well, this promise, just hang on to this promise. When you water others, you'll be watered yourself. You will be watered yourself. I love that. The blessing reacts upon ourselves when we seek to be a blessing to others. Again, from that uh, chapter called The Work and the Life in Steps to Christ, it says, And the effort to bless others will react in blessing upon ourselves. Those who thus become participants in labors of love are brought where? Do you hear that? What? Those who become participants in labors of love are brought nearest to their creator. So who has the closest relationship with Jesus? The one who is seeking to love others. (laughs) Those 
are the ones that have the closest relationship with Jesus. It, when, when, the, when you read this first uh, sentence, the effort to bless others will react in blessing upon ourselves. Maybe you've seen, you've seen that in your own experience when you've given a gift to a neighbor or maybe brought flowers to um, you know, uh, someone who might be in the hospital or something. You, you brought a gift to them, but then you realize, wait, this is really fun. <laughs> you know, I'm being blessed in the process. We, we went and sang for a friend of ours um, at, at the nursing home not too long ago, and our kids were saying, that was fun. Why? What, what happens? Because the blessing we give to others, it actually reacts upon ourselves. Well, what specifically is that blessing? I would say it's the blessing of being brought nearest to the Creator. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. We will be refreshed when we live to refresh others. How? Through a closer communion with Jesus. You see, service to others is both a cause and an effect of our closeness with Jesus. It's both a cause and effect of our closeness with Jesus. I was rummaging through some old pictures. I was actually texting some people last night uh, who I knew long ago. I was looking for pictures from this experience called Teen Bible Academy. Um, this was from our younger years in ministry. I don't know if you can recognize any of those individuals. That's Debbie teaching um, about 30 uh, high schoolers. I don't know. Maybe there were 20-something that year. <clears throat> but we used to run this summer program back in the day. Uh, man, more than a decade ago. That's crazy. Anyways, <laughs> we used to run this summer program called Teen Bible Academy. It consisted of three weeks. We would take one week to just separate these kids from their normal environments, take them out to Yosemite National Park and backpack for about five to six days, um, and we would teach them how to have communion with God, teach them what it was like to actually open up their Bibles and have a conversation with God, you know. And then uh, after that first week of solitude, we called it, then we would go and have a week of just classroom study. We would study the doctrines of, of Scripture. We would study how to reach people. Uh, we would study different things. And then the third week, the third week, we would actually set up different service opportunities and projects each day of that week for them to actually share their faith, what they had experienced, and things like that. And what I loved about this experience was not just the fun, not just the good times that we had with the kids. I think we've got another picture of that same group. This was the, like the very last day the parents were all picking them up and stuff. <clears throat> but um, what I loved about that experience is that the closeness that kids had when they were in the mountains, you know, when, when every voice was hushed, when they could be still and know God, that closeness only ramped up when we got to the service week. You know, it, it, was, it was always an interesting like, kind of like a sensory shock coming from the mountains of five or six days of backpacking and like hearing everything, you know, all the traffic, all the air conditioners and all that stuff. You know, the closeness that, that kids had on the mountaintop, it, it didn't get lost. Why? Because in that service week, they experienced an even closer walk with Jesus. I remember the one year, it wasn't this particular, this one was taken 2009. Um, <clears throat> and then I think it was one year in particular, we had a, a group of kids and uh, the very last night we were doing, I mean, we were just kind of letting loose. We had a non-talent show, totally spontaneous, uh, unplanned. People were just doing silly things just to kind of uh, get a laugh and stuff. But, but then we closed the night just uh, um, singing some songs and being refreshed in worship. And one of the kids, 
It was, uh, it was kind of our habit, you know, to sing a song and then someone would kind of pipe up with a testimony, um, a scripture or a memory that they had from the service projects that day. But one of the kids just piped up and um, she said, wow, this really is the best life ever. <laughs> you know, what, what, what was she thinking about? I'm sure maybe partly she was thinking about the closeness of the relationships that she had developed with the kids and stuff like that. I'm sure she was thinking about some of the memories and the projects and stuff, but it was because she was brought nearest to her creator through service that she could say, what? Living for others. That really is the abundant life. And so maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, (laughs) I want that abundant life. I want to be a river of life for others so I can experience the nearest or closest relationship with Jesus I possibly can. And, uh, you know, before we close, I want to ask this practical question. You know, how how do I do that? How do I begin? Um, Let me tell you something. You don't need a degree (laughs) to begin. Degrees are good. Theological training is great. But you don't need a degree. Just ask the woman at the well who met Jesus and brought a whole town to him without a degree. <laughs> okay? But I, I would just say this. If you're asking yourself, how do I begin? Start with who you know and start with what you have. Simply put, start with who you know. You know, the, for the woman at the well, she started with who she knew. She knew the whole town. Maybe in ways that she probably didn't need to, but she knew the whole town. Okay? She started with who she knew. And start with what you have. I, I remember, you know, the, the story of Peter and John. They're coming up to the temple uh, at the time of prayer. They see this lame man, and he's begging for alms. Peter and John, they don't just want to pass him by. They see him. The, the Bible is very specific. Peter saw him. He saw his need. And you know what he says to them? You know, silver and gold, I have none. But what I have, I'll give to you. That's a principle that we can take to the bank. Maybe you do have silver and gold. And if you do have that, then give as you're able. But for Peter and John, what I have, that's what I give to you. And what did he give? He gave the power of the name of Jesus. He gave what he knew of Jesus himself. He gave of his relationship to Jesus. I love that. So start with who you know start with what you have maybe it is like i said material goods or material resources maybe it's a dining room and hospitality maybe it's a listening ear and a heart of compassion ultimately let it be the lord himself because you have the lord share the lord because you freely received from him freely give for him so as we just kind of process this and look to see what what this might show up like in our own lives I pray that we would be ones who take Jesus up on his invitation. I'll just go back to John 7 again. Come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me, and I'll make you a life-giving river. So that's a simple application I want us to, to share today. Come to Jesus and come thirsty. <laughs> come thirsty to know him more for yourself. Come thirsty to share him more with others. And I would just, man, maybe a, a specific take-home challenge today. Each day this week, claim the promise of John 7, 37 to 39. Each day this week, open up to John 7 and put your finger on it and say, you know what, I believe in you. 
Fulfill this promise, as the scripture has said, out of my heart will flow rivers of living water. Each day this week, claim this promise. Tell him you're coming thirsty and ask him, Lord, please just make me a life-giving influence to anyone you bring me in contact with, even if we're reaching for the same roll of toilet paper. I'm just kidding. Anyways, <laughs> even if, even if we may not be, feel like we're being given to, we can be givers of life to others. How many of you today want to say, yeah, I want to come to Jesus each, each day this week and say, yeah, please make me a life-giving river. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I know this is your desire. You've already promised it. And so we're just agreeing with your desire today. We want to be a people who truly walk with you. And because we walk with you, we can freely give to others. And at the same time, Father, maybe our relationship, our walk, feels like it has stagnated. Maybe it feels like it has stalled a bit. And so give us the good sense to actually look outside of ourselves. Lead us, Lord, to divine appointments in which throughout this week we can be a blessing in, in simple or, or grand and dramatic ways. Lord, it's up to you. We just want to be available. We pray that somehow you would bring us nearer to you as we participate in labors of love. Father, I pray even in the midst of, uh, or maybe I should say especially in the midst of the times in which we're living, give us the good sense to actually think about needs that are right around us. Even neighbors that are feeling like they need to stay at home. Uh, What can we do for them? What can we do for the people that are um, maybe don't have the privilege of, of having a, a deep, rock-solid relationship and are overwhelmed by fear right now? Lord, help us to know how we can minister to the needs of those around us. And may in the process, may we walk more closely with Jesus. May we experience the best life ever. In Jesus' saving and precious name, let everyone say, Amen.